Yo, yo, yo. Kevin Bowen back. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Hope you all having a great start to the month of May as best as possible that you are staying safe through this time. Glad to help you out here on Kevin's Corner with a little content action. 1075thefan.com. With all your written coverage here in the offseason, some Zoom meetings that we're having with um, with the Colts right now. We have the coordinators on Monday, Nick Sirianni, Matt Eberflus. We'll have T.Y. Hilton and Kenny Moore on Wednesday. And uh, I think we'll have kind of Frank Reich uh, off and on for the next month or so. So, um, yeah, look, looking forward to a little bit of content with the Colts going virtual right now for their offseason program. On today's podcast... We'll hit on a lot, a lot, a lot of Twitter questions. Um, I, I know, I think last time I didn't ask for them maybe, or I had a bunch saved over, and then obviously with the schedule release podcast on Friday, um, boy, I just got bored. I know I said I wasn't going to do one, but then I just got bored. I was like, you know what? People people need it. 15 minutes, let's go. We'll schedule, cho- schedule talk. So if you missed any of that, that should be in your inbox. Um, that... Uh, Hit the airwaves late Thursday night, early Friday morning. So we we won't really talk schedule today too much. I think there are a couple questions on it that I will hit on. Uh, but we will go over all those Twitter questions, and then um, the chunk of the podcast will be about rookie playing time. Kind of projecting that out. You know, we, we do this on an annual basis, like a week or two after the draft. Of Okay, the depth chart is starting to settle a little bit. You get a clearer picture and talking to some people about these guys and, and not only their collegiate backgrounds, but where the Colts view them at, uh, potentially a, a, as day one impact players. And so we will um, we'll get into all of those. For those of you that missed the Nick Sirianni, Matt Eberflus recaps, those are up on 1075thefan.com. It's the first time we've talked to either coordinator all offseason long. Um, so it, it's usually kind of an all-encompassing, you know, look back on your unit, to end last season, you know, talk to me about some of these offseason additions that have occurred through free agency in the draft, and then, you know, Malik Hooker questions, Paris Campbell questions, running back rotation, all that stuff. So I will touch on a little bit of that throughout today's podcast, but again, in, in written form, um, that is up on the website, 107.5 The Fan. Let's begin with the annual rookie playing time breakdown. Obviously a very early projection um, having said that, you know, it, like I've said in the last few podcasts, I don't think we're having an in-person off-season program. Um, I, I can't imagine that occurring, at least on a full team basis. It sounds like maybe some NFL facilities will open up to their staffs, you know, think more of business operations side and less football operations side here in the, in the coming days, coming weeks. Um, but again, this is a, a, a weird time for these rookies inserting themselves in the NFL, and I, I definitely factor that in to some of the playing time. We will go on a numbered scale, 1 to 10. 10 meaning 16-game starter. 1 meaning you're lucky to make the football team. So that's how we will go with our breakdown here on the nine draft picks for the Colts. Let's start with Michael Pittman. We are going to go 8 or 9. Every player will have kind of a two-number um, evaluation, if you will, uh, for them. So Pittman, I'm going to go eight or nine. You know, I, I could see him being a 16-game starter, but I also think to myself there are personnel groupings where, you know, Frank Reich doesn't have T.Y. Hilton on the field for all 100% of the snaps. So I, I just think there will be times where maybe he is not, you know, on the field, but 
having said that, you talk about a college-ready wideout for the NFL. The Colts feel like he is exactly that. You know, Frank Reich has talked about it. There are specific routes that he watched Michael Pittman run at USC and think to himself, yes, yes, yes. That is the body type. That is kind of a missing ingredient that we have not had uh, in our offense uh, over the past two seasons. So um, I, I think he should be a day one starter. I thought it was interesting on Monday, Nick Sirianni uh, mentioned how, and it was a great question. I forget who, who asked it. it might have been Stephen Holder, but um, it, it was a really good question. Just get more insight on Michael Pittman of like, okay, we all see over 100 catches, over whatever, 1,200 yards last year, over 10 touchdowns. What does he do away from the ball? What, what does he do when the ball is not thrown to him? And Sirianni talked about how at 6'4", 223, he brings some Jack Doyle, Zach Paschal stuff. And that's high freaking praise. That is, that is such high praise from this staff because Paschal and Doyle have been lauded for what they do without the ball in their hands. You know, there are games where Pascal would play, you know, X amount of snaps and wouldn't even see a target. But yet, the, the coaching staff felt he was worthy enough to be on the field for a reason. And that comes from blocking, reliability, you know, sticking to your route tree, not deviating from, from things. And so, that's what they feel like Pittman did at USC as well. Um, from a toughness, consistency standpoint, he certainly provided that um, you know I also have been you know, look, looking more in, into Pittman and I, and I do this with all these draft picks over the next few few weeks few months you you know, kind of find out a little bit more information and I knew he had pretty quick short area quickness I remember that being a thing of like okay some people see four or five in the 40 yard dash and they're just going to be like ah, ah I don't love that. He's not Denzel Mims, which I get it. Denzel Mims is an absolute freak from an athletic standpoint. But at 6'4", 220 plus, the guy can move. And I went back and looked at his combine numbers. He had the fourth fastest three cone of any wideout. And he had the second fastest short shuttle, which is, I think, 20 yards. I mean, that, that to me is fourth fastest three, three cone. Second fastest short shuttle, that is the early separation in routes, um, you know, short area quickness, getting in and out of your breaks in more of a fluid manner. Pittman can, can give you that. So he, he's going to play. He's going to play a whole lot from day one, and he needs to. All right, Jonathan Taylor is up next. We'll give him a seven or eight. Honestly, the only reason I don't have him at the same level of Pittman is you know, because for the vast majority of time, you know, you, you only have one running back on the field. Uh, I, I know my guy John O'Brien sent in this question of, you know, could you see Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor on the field at the same time? And, and yes, I don't necessarily know how that works because you, know, you would think one of them would be more of a threat out of the backfield. Is there some wildcat stuff you could do with both of them? Uh, is there some short yardage stuff where – I don't know, Taylor's lining up at fullback, or you just don't know pre-snap who is getting the ball in that situation. So I, I think Frank Reich is definitely open to that stuff, but obviously primarily you're only having one of them on the field at each time. Um, and I looked at last year's numbers. The Colts averaged 29 rushes per game. So 29 rushes per game for the Colts last year. 
And if I take that number and try to bring it into 2020, you know, is that, okay, you know, Jonathan Taylor's getting 15 carries and Marlon Mack's getting 12 and, you know, Naeem Hines and, and Roosevelt Knicks each get one, something like that. Like, I, again, that's a, it's very difficult to just play that out, but that is me kind of projecting, okay, how could 29 rushes look? And honestly, what I think, and Sirianni mentioned this on Monday, of like, we don't look at it as a one-two punch, we look at it as a one-one punch, which is just such great coach speak. Um, does that mean switching series? You know, is that a, okay, boom, we're going to start the game with Jonathan Taylor, and then the next series is Marlon Mack. And then the next series is Taylor. How does that look? And vice versa. Maybe Mac is going to start the season, you know, as that lead back. Um, so I, I think that'll be something that you will look into for sure. But you, you've got to tap into Jonathan Taylor right away. There is no patience with running backs. You don't draft running backs at 41 overall and be like, yeah, this guy's going to sit. And this guy's going to, you know, he's going to develop a little bit more. No. No, uh, this guy is is playing for you, and he needs to be an impact player for you r- right away. All right, moving to Julian Blackman, I'll go with four or five, and obviously this is just kind of a, a bit of a murky situation with him dealing with the ACL. Um, you know that that'll be something to certainly keep an eye on. Of just okay, is does he open the season on physically unable to perform list? Um, you know when he's healthy. I still think Malik Hooker and Kari Willis will be your starting safeties, as they should be. Now, I would like to ease Julian Blackman into this role. Um, And I guess if we go back to the Hooker thing for just a second, I really think that the amount of pressure you're putting on Julian Blackman with losing, you know, that, that final year of security on Malik Hooker, I think that pressure is probably the biggest worrisome factor in all this and why I'm so skeptical about it, which you guys heard me dive you know deeper into on, on last week's podcast. You are saying no to Malik Hooker because of his lack of durability, even though he's played the second most defensive snaps of, of any defender on your team over the last two years. Having said that, you are now betting on Julian Blackman, who is coming off an ACL of his own. So it just, it's, it's kind of odd to me. Um, that, that, that's the sort of rationale and thinking behind that. Uh, but you know, again, I, I think when Blackman is healthy, you know, what is he playing 20 snaps for you, 30 snaps for you as a rookie? I think that's a very fair role to have him on. Um, so that's probably how I would operate with things when Julian Blackman does get healthy. Jacob Eason, I put it at two or three. Uh, I fully expect him to make the roster. I, I don't think that is a question in my mind at all, really, to be honest with you. Uh, but obviously, unless something catastrophic injury-wise happens to Rivers and Jacoby Brissett, um, Eason isn't going to see. He probably won't take a snap, um, to be honest with you. And I guess unless significant injuries happen around the league and training camp, I don't see you know trade value all of a sudden rising for Jacoby Brissett to the point where the Colts are like, oh yeah, we're good with giving up our valued backup who's making a cap of $21 million this season. And that's the other thing you got to think about. 
when you factor in Brissett trade possibilities, which again, I don't think the Colts are entertaining at all. What team wants to take on that sort of contract? Now a team might get desperate and be like, all right, screw it. We're in such a terrible situation. We need a guy that can come in and start. We're going to eat that and have the ability to eat that. But that's a fair question. And how much would the Colts obviously take on from that as well? Um, I have been watching more more Eason games. <laughs> and I know I sound like a broken record and everyone knows this, but th- that arm, the arm is freaking amazing. He, the ball just, it, it, it's a howitzer. It is a howitzer. I guess when I watch college, you know, quarterbacks, I'm just not used to like that sort of arm talent. Um, and that, that clearly stands out to me of like when it is a clean pocket and he doesn't have to make multiple progressions, that ball is on target far off than far more than it's not. And it comes out of there with some serious velocity, serious velocity. But, yeah, I mean, obviously some of the negatives are just there aren't a lot of progressions to me. I don't see, like, a general command pre-snap of, like, one, you know, getting guys lined up or a lot of looking to the sidelines in that in that spread offense. And he, he really struggles against pressure. When, when pressure comes, I'm like, oh, boy, where's the plan? Because there doesn't seem to be a very crystal clear plan. Uh, but that's all part of the development, why he fell to the fourth round, all those things. And he, he's got to figure out, obviously, where to go with it when adversity gets to him. Because you know full well, obviously, NFL defenses are going to be far more complex with that. All right, Danny Pittner, I'll throw him at three or four. Again, barring an injury, I, I can't see him starting in, in 2020. I know everyone wants to bench Mark Glowinski, this and that, but I will go back to what I said last week, folks. First off, Glowinski is viewed by the Colts in a far better light than he's viewed by fans. Fans just look at him like he's he's the worst offensive lineman, so let's rip him because you have to rip the worst offensive lineman. That's like an that's an NFL fan rule. You have to do that. The Colts are like, hey, we we preach continuity for all these years. It, it, it's not that bad. We're gonna we're gonna continue to have him in the lineup. And Danny Pittner's never taken a snap at guard in his life. Never. Ball State tight end tackle. So I think we have to keep that in mind. Um, and Glowinski signed through 2021. Now, maybe Pinter shows you a lot. Pinter, I got him. I saw the YouTube commenter was chirping at me that I wasn't pronouncing that right. Aren't I saying that right? Pinter. Danny Pinter. Gosh. It's bad enough. I got terrible handwriting. Now, if I can't talk, I, I won't be long for this job. Having said all that, you are one, you know, torn meniscus, one, whatever insert your month-long injury here from Danny Pintner playing a lot. So um, I think that this is something where you can ease him along. He could be your top reserve, and like we've talked about, that is one play away from playing a good amount, but I, I still don't think he is supplanting Mark Glowinski in the lineup really anytime soon, uh, and I mean that by here in 2020. Rob Windsor, the D-tackle out of Penn State, I'll go with two or three on him. Um, I think he's in a fight to make the team. And I know the Colts made, you know, made the comment he can play in waves and they love defensive line rotation. And um, you had, what was it, yesterday? Yeah, Eberflus talked yesterday about, okay, I want to rotate four defensive tackles. All right, well, let's start looking at numbers. Four defensive tackles. Buckner, duh. Uh, Grover Stewart, duh. I would assume Sheldon Day. There's three. 
then my fourth would be Danico Autry or Tyquan Lewis with knowing that you can also play them outside in a, in a pinch. So what Windsor has got to do is he's got to show value backing up Grover Stewart and also playing three technique. And he really needs, you know, Autry or Lewis. I would say Lewis is probably the more, le- well, I don't know. Autry saved more money and he's older, but Lewis is the guy that clearly hasn't lived up to it so far. Um, so yeah, I, I just don't think it's a, it, it's a slam dunk. And that's part of just the crowded nature that comes with defensive line. Now, Windsor should be very happy that he's in a, he's, he's with a team that values eight, nine defensive linemen a ton. Um, Iberflus did confirm yesterday. I, I asked him that question about, okay, no Jabal Sheard. How are you replacing that on early downs? And I threw out, you know, could Autry and Lewis be that guy? And he definitely said that that's something they are for sure looking into. Um, so that would not be su- surprising at all if one of those guys were um, starting for you on the early downs. And then when you get to the pass rush situations, that's when you bring on Kamoko Terry or Ben Banigou or whoever. Al-Kadeem Muhammad's probably another name to throw in there on those rundowns. But, you know, Autry and Lewis have done it before. They, they have done it before. All right, Isaiah Rogers, the corner out of UMass. I'll go two or three for him as well. Special teams is a must. A must to make this football team. Gunner, kick returner, um, both those things. You know, as a corner, they feel like nickel is where his best fit is. Obviously, that's Kenny Moore. Long term, could he be a backup, versatile corner for you? He is a really different body type than TJ Carey. You know, TJ Carey, you signed back in whatever that was, late March, early April. I don't know, all the months run, run together at this point for me. But, you know, Carey's what, six foot, 203, 204, something like that? I mean, that's, that's kind of a stocky slot corner. TJ Carey, or excuse me, Isaiah Rogers is, I mean, he's a, the size of a, you know, Bishop Chittard corner. He's 5'10, 170 pounds. I mean, that's, that's small for a college corner. So, I think just special teams has got to be got to be um, a must for him just to make that value, create value. And do you have room for both him and TJ Carey? That's a question, you know, because if Naeem Hines and Paris Campbell are your return men, you know, then you're going to run into some, okay, what's the value for him rounding out your roster? All right, Desmond Patman, the big man out of Washington State. Um, I will go with uh, one or two here. I think Patman is in a fight, a, a big fight to make the roster. You know, you got you got four um, four receivers that I look at as locks. Um, that obviously being Hilton, Pittman, Campbell, and Zach Pascal, and then it's what maybe six guys for two spots, maybe something like that. And, and I say maybe two spots because you know you're keeping an extra fullback this year, or you're adding a fullback, I should say. Like, there's a bit of a numbers crunch. Like, six six wideouts is not just the, the blanket number of wideouts. A lot of teams only keep five. And Patman has no returnability from his days at Washington State. And when you watch him Washington State, you know, I, I need to look back into some more film. But I saw a lot of just every other series, he'd be on the bench. And he's playing just outside, um, on the right side of the formation. And the variety of routes weren't really there, which he admitted, you know, that's something that he's got to develop. So I think this is a developmental project. And I think it's a, it's a practice squad type of project. 
two two twenty five. There's a lot to work with for a guy for a guy that runs four four eight. But again, I think there is um there is a good amount that still needs to be developed with him. And Pittman and Pascal, I think, are two of your kind of bigger body guys. Obviously, Pittman being being more of that. All right, the final pick is Jordan Glasgow out of Michigan. I give him a four or five. Now, obviously, he's not playing defense for you as a rookie. You're you're so deep at linebacker. But when when Chris Ballard mentions he's got pro special teams ability right away, I'm not going to overlook that. Like there is legit special teams ability out of out of Glasgow. Um, he's cheaper. He's under contract for four years. I just think that makes him a better fit for you than potentially Matthew Adams or Zaire Franklin. Franklin especially has been a guy that's been a core special teamer for you. And that's kind of the back end, you know, roster mechanics 201, if you will, of like, all right, sometimes you don't just let these former draft picks play out their entire rookie contract. And once you get to the back end of like, oh, they're starting to make a little bit more money and they're now two years older than they used to be. And we just drafted a guy. You know, it's a, it's a little bit of saving of money, and I also think that they really like Glasgow. I do. I think they, they, they really like him. All right, before we get into Twitter questions, let's touch briefly on the undrafted class. Anybody there, rookie playing time. You know, it's like outside of Blankenship, the kicker, who, I mean, boy, could you have a better situation? You're, you're pretty much walking into a, a room where, what, 64? 40-60 chance to make the team. You got to give Chase McLaughlin a little bit of a, a little bit higher than a fifty percent chance based off what he did last year in the NFL. Um, no other undrafted free agent obviously has anywhere close to those type of odds of making the team. Like no one. I, I don't look at any of these guys and say, "Oh yeah, they're a player away from being on the fifty-three man roster." Like all of them are two and three rungs down on that depth chart ladder. And that's why this limited offseason program absolutely kills these guys. Jack Doyle talked about it last week. He's an undrafted free agent going down to Tennessee. And immediately when you walk into the building, you are, you know, whatever, three people down on the depth chart. Jordan Glasgow told a great story at, at Michigan where, when he was a walk-on early on, he he he, he was a, he was originally a safety. He walked into the room and he's the eighth safety on the depth chart as a freshman. And when he would pass a couple of guys during his freshman year, he'd go right back to eight at, going into a sophomore year because they would bring in two four-star recruits, and so that would push him right back down. So every single in-person rep, and then Glasgow said the only way the defensive staff trusted him in a game setting was when some, I think Hudson, Hudson from Michigan got ejected for, for targeting and they had to put Glasgow in the game. So um, that's, that's life of a walk on. And in a way these undrafted free agents are a bit walk on like of like you need every single in-person rep meeting time on field stuff possible to truly make a strong impression. So I, I, I think it hurts all these guys. I mentioned, um, what's his name, Carter O'Donnell, I think is the uh, CFL offensive lineman. You know, he, he was one that I threw on there, but I think it's going to be very difficult for any undrafted free agent, not named Blankenship, 
to make this roster. All right, Twitter question time here. Let's start with Louise. Louise chimes in. Which position group do you think will have the most difficult cuts at the end of training camp? Wideout, DB, D-line, linebacker, quarterback. Louise, great question. Um, Got to be defensive line, right? By a wide margin in my eyes. I mean, you're talking about depth, tons of depth, um, you know, potentially cutting a draft pick, you know, rumors of cutting a second, a former second rounder. So, yeah, I would say defensive line. You know, wide out really, as I mentioned earlier, it's kind of just a bunch of dudes for one or two spots. It's Marcus Johnson and Afton Doolin and Reese Fountain and, and De- um, Desmond Patman and, you know, maybe once, maybe two spots, but, you know, could, could just be one spot. DB, to me, it's you're kind of set at corner for a while, and then it's okay. Isaiah Rogers or TJ Carey for that last spot. I think Jacob Eason clearly makes it over Chad Kelly. I do. I think he should. Um, and linebackers, just special teams. Arcadius. What a name. Boy. Throw that on the Bowen boy name list. Arcadius Bowen. Gosh. Sounds great. All right. Arcadius, due to his size, do you see Michael Pittman becoming Philip Rivers' favorite option from the get-go? Also, do you see T.Y.'s role changing? Um, boy, I, I, I'm not going to – that's kind of a slap in the face of T.Y. Hilton. And, and I know that Rivers has had this history with the bigger body wideouts, and I do think Michael Pittman will be a favorite target, but not not the favorite from, from the get-go. Nick Sirianni yesterday talking about T.Y. Hilton, it was kind of like – kind of like we forgot about Hilton a little bit. Like, we haven't talked too much about him this this offseason. Um, you almost forget, like, wow, that dude is damn good at football. And certainly, he had the injury-riddled season last year, but he's a huge, huge part of this offense. And Sirianni was like, he is our alpha. He Our passing offense goes through him. And Sirianni sounded like a kid dreaming to be a professional sports athlete when he was talking about Hilton and the routes from the San Diego LA days that the Chargers ran like specific plays of Travis Benjamin over the top or Tyrell Williams on underneath crossers where you let Hilton do more post catch. And that hasn't been tapped into enough. I think in Hilton's career. So yeah, I mean, they, they fully expect big things out of T.Y. Hilton. And this is a huge year. I mean, this is a, this is a contract year. This is a make or break. This is a make-or-break final stretch for T.Y. Hilton. Do you get that third contract here in Indianapolis? Is it a multiple-year contract? And I still think, like, there is an amount of trust that Michael Pittman's got to earn. And honestly, there's an amount of trust that T.Y. Hilton's got to earn. Like, everyone has to earn trust with Rivers, but I think it's easier for a veteran. Sirianni also mentioned that when, when Rivers signed here that he thought back to that 2016 game, Chargers-Colts, I think it was week three. Everybody will probably remember this play. At Lucas Oil, Colts are down. Hilton does catch kind of a kind of a slant almost. He, he first catches a fourth down pass on Jason Verrett to extend the, the series and really save the game. Colts are looking at 0-3 at that point. And Hilton catches a slant and just takes off for a 60-some-yard touchdown. And the rest is history. And Rivers like vividly remembers that. Um, 
And that was a that was a reason, like in the back of his mind, he's like, I'm gonna go there and still have a number one wideout. And I think back to the Andrew Luck conversation, so much with Hilton kind of jogs my memory. This probably goes to show you how big of a fan I am of of watching T.Y. Hilton play the game of football. But when Wright got here and Andrew Luck um explained to Hilton, or excuse me, explained to Reich of like, okay, this is who T.Y. Hilton is. Luck had a hard time doing it and just kind of like you know, layman's terms, which I guess Andrew Luck probably has a hard time relating to a lot of normal folk with that. But he just basically said to Frank Reich after a while, like, just trust me. Trust me. This dude is an unbelievable pro, knows how to get open, great route runner. It might not look like exactly what you draw up, but he gets to the right spots. So, um, yeah, I think I think all of those are reasons why Hilton is still going to have a big role. But this is a huge year. I think, I mean, he's got to be a thousand yard wide out, I think, for you to feel comfortable. Because, yes, Pittman's going to play a lot early on, and, and we know about the big body history with Rivers. But, you know, you would like to just kind of, I don't know, ease him isn't the right term. It's not like you're Julian Blackman with him. But I guess what I'm saying is, like, you don't want to have the pressure of, like, okay, Michael Pittman, we need 10 targets and we need six catches every game. That's a lot. All right, Gary is chiming in. Gary says, am I the only one that thinks luck retiring forever was over a calf injury? Admitted conspiracy theorist here. Boy, that's a great – admitting your problem is always the first step. Uh, But what, if anything, am I missing? It just doesn't add up to me. Do we have the whole story? Boy, is this Joey Molinaro with a little bit of an alias here on Twitter? Gotta love conspiracy theorists. Cornelius Washington, one of the best out there, is one of them. Openly admits it. Um, boy, Gary, it's been a while since I've gone down the luck route. We haven't had a, a true luck retirement question in a while, so thank you for this in the quarantine. What do you got, Gary? I mean, do you have some crazy conspiracy? Because if you do, what, what do you got? Jordan gambling? You know, are we going there? Andrew Luck running a drug sting in the Eagle Creek Park. God, that's juicy. Hey, Gary, whatever you got, send it in because we need hey, we need some fresh content over the uh, over the rest of the offseason. But no, I mean, I just I think Andrew Luck. I guess go back and listen to the August twenty fifth podcast from last year. Andrew Luck did not want to make the sacrifices that it takes to play football. I don't know how much of it was. A, it was it like strictly a calf injury. No, it was just okay. Whatever the rehab ramifications are for Andrew Luck to continue to play football at an incredibly high level, he doesn't want to make those anymore. Whatever that is, rehab wise, medical wise, it impacted too much of his life. He was a, a, a new husband. He was about to be a new father, Lucy Luck. Shout out to Lucy Seward, born a few weeks ago. Jason Seward, Allie Corey, tremendous, love it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I just think that his his priorities are different than than a lot of other um, NFL players. And I'm not going to argue which is great, which is bad, all those things. But I honestly think it just again the physical pain is too much for him. The physical pain wasn't too much, I should say, but what it takes again to fight through that pain to be the starting quarterback, be the franchise quarterback of an NFL team. 
All right, we had a couple questions about Jacoby Brissett per usual, so I'll throw Yuri and uh, uh, Felipe's in here as well. Yuri says, what's with the Colts talk about Brissett? Why would you bring in a veteran if you think he's the guy? Are the Colts scared to let go? And what about the contract? He's a backup on crazy money. All right. Um, Felipe says, we all know how the team says they love Jacoby. What they've done, both on and off the field, though, has shown they don't love him that much as a player. What do you... What do you think would be better at backup? Have Eason for development or stick with Jacoby the whole year? Well, very fair questions, both of those. And um, the old saying of actions speak louder than words could not be more apparent here with <laughs> the Colts' thoughts on Jacoby Brissett. I mean, hell, this week there's a report out there that the Colts are interested in Andy Dalton if they wouldn't got Rivers. So, yeah, Andy Dalton and Nick Foles, rumors of trades there. Um, that's not the <laughs> Boy, that's not a huge endorsement on what they think of Jacoby Brissett. Like, they can like him, but in again, your actions speak louder. They do. You are spot on there. Spot on. And they knew an upgrade was needed. Now, as far as the whole backup thing, and you guys have heard me talk about the contract, I would have parted ways with Jacoby Brissett far earlier in the offseason. Say, uh, you know, create more cap space, try to make an upgrade somewhere else, because... And I know this goes against a lot of people's belief, especially the Colts' belief and how I view backup quarterback. And I guess I understand the value of a backup, and I think Jacoby Brissett is probably one of the top one or two backups in the entire NFL. I think he's very – like, I, I'm not – I don't want people to think, like, I think Jacoby Brissett is the 47th best quarterback in the league. No, I don't. But I'm just of the thinking of, Phillip Rivers has started 224 straight games. If he gets hurt, then I'm ready to start the clock on the next quarterback, franchise quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. And I'm ready to give Jacob Eason an opportunity to go play. I am. And again, I know that goes against a lot of people's thinking. They will say, I had somebody uh, tweet at me that Brissett could come in and Easily go 4 0. I'm like, Jesus Christ. If he easily could go 4 0, why is he not the starter? Like, come on. I, I don't need to go down the numbers of Jacoby Brissett. Look at, look at the last four games. Look at, I mean, look at the vast majority of the season. Didn't have a single 67% passing game or better since week three. Week three. So I, I'm of the belief of like, okay, if Rivers gets hurt and you can get Jacob Eason under center for multiple games. Would that hurt your 2020 season outlook? I guess it would. Yes, Jacob Eason is probably not as quarterback ready as Jacoby Brissett is. I'm not going to argue that. But I think he needs game reps. And I think you have to evaluate him in game settings to get a true answer on what you have with him. And those reps can be damn valuable, especially for a guy that has only started one year of the last three. I talk about handling pressure with him, make making progressions, that's all great when you're wearing a red jersey. Oh, that's beautiful. You can do it in, in a classroom. Can you do it when the live bolts are flying? So that's my thinking on it. And and I guess um, Felipe asked the question. So, I mean, he's he's obviously thinking about it as well, but that's that's what I would do. Now, if you're 10 and 2 and, you know, Rivers gets hurt for two weeks and you're trying to get home field. I'm probably in the wrong. I am probably wrong, but that's my, uh, that's my thought process on it. 
Philip Rivers a stopgap, and how how else are you going to evaluate Jacob Eason? How else? Scrapper135, chiming in. Good to hear from you, Scrapper. Do you think Ballard ever hit the mute button on Ursay during the Zoom draft conference? Oh, gosh. Oh, that gave me a good chuckle. I would pay a decent amount of money to see the uncut versions of some of those uh, edited, you know, the whole with the next pick series. Come on now. That's a highly, highly edited program. Um, Rightfully so, I guess. But uh, I I would love to see. I did feel at one point like um, Ursay Ursay was talking and Ballard or Reich, I think it was Ballard maybe, which again, Ballard like is, is, is running the NFL draft from his basement. Like he should be very focused on the task at hand. He really wasn't paying attention to Ursay. And then like Reich chimed in like, oh gosh, we forgot about her. Like it was almost like, like, is no one paying attention to grandma or grandpa at Thanksgiving or Christmas? It's kind of like, oh, yeah, a gym, yeah, big body guy, you know. Um, he he can create separation, or uh, I would have to go back and watch it. But <laughs> I feel like that that happened at one time. Good to hear from you, Scrapper. All right, Brennan. Hi, Ke- hi Kevin. Question for the pod. There's been some rumors that Pat McAfee might be coming out of retirement to punt or kick in the fall. Would you take him back with the Colts or stick with Rigoberto, Chase, and Rodrigo? Boy, Patty Mack is up to something on social media. I've I've seen that. His uh his compound out there in Geist, he's kicking and I feel like we forget at times how good McAfee was as a punter. That dude was incredible. I mean, seriously. He was an All-Pro, I think, at least once. He should have been All-Pro more than that. But having said that, no, I'm sticking with Rigoberto. He's, what, 25 years old? Just signed him to a four-year deal. Yeah, he's kicked out a really high level. And, and still with field goals with, with McAfee, I guess that's the unknown. I really have not seen him kick many field goals. What Did he do the – was it the Giants preseason game where he kicked a real long one? I mean, I know he kicked at uh, – he kicked it, what's it called? West Virginia. But, I mean, hell, that's over a decade ago at this point. So, boy, he's he's up to something. He loves Indianapolis so much, which is just awesome to have that presence in our city. But I would um, I would think he'd understand the Colts situation, especially a punter. May, may, I don't know, may, maybe not a field goal, but certainly a punter. All right, Brian, do you see any of the draft picks not making the team? Great question, Brian. Yeah, I do. Um, I mean, you had three missed the team last year. Now, Javon Patterson tore his ACL, but Gary Green never had a prayer. Jackson Barton never had a prayer. Green is a DN. I mean, Green, and this is where you're at right now as, as a roster, which is a great situation. Green was so, um, I don't know, what's what's the word I'm looking for? Distraught is way too, um, way too aggressive. He was just, I guess, disappointed in in the lack of opportunity here now when you're drafted you don't create your own opportunities when you're an undrafted free agent obviously you can pick your home but he was like I'm not gonna I mean I, I didn't have a hope or a prayer of making the 53-man roster he initially signed with the Patriots practice squad now he's back on the Colts 90-man roster but um basically what I'm saying is there's just not these like tremendous opportunities um so, 
I think um, I think on the 53-man roster look that I did a few weeks back, I had, or I guess just a week or two back, I think I had three missing it. I think I had Windsor, Rogers, and Patman. But I, I would set the over-under probably like two and a half. Yeah, I mean, Pintner's a lock. Um, Eason, obviously, I think is going to make the team. I think Glasgow is going to make the team. So, yeah, that, that's what you get into. I mean, Pinter as a fifth-round pick, you usually your fifth-round picks make the team. You got four six-rounders, and those are the tough ones to make. And I go back to what I said earlier about the Windsor debate. If you're keeping four defensive tack- tackles, to me, and I'm not – maybe this is my Notre Dame-Indianapolis bias coming out with Sheldon Day. Sheldon Day started in the Super Bowl. Sheldon Day is a damn good football player. So Sheldon Day, Grover Stewart, DeForest Buckner are locks in my mind. So that's three of your four defensive tackles. Then to me, if you've got this versatile option of Danico Autry and Tyquan Lewis, could you sneak Windsor to your practice squad? Maybe. Maybe. All right. Um, who's up next? We got Dan. Uh, when are you back on 1070 again? Um so, Dan, my, my weekly segments on um, the fan are Mondays and Fridays, 7.30 in the morning, joining the fan morning show, Jeff and Rick, or uh, Jeff and uh, Big Joe at 7.30. Then I do JMV every Wednesday at 5, and I'm on with Dan, usually at 2 o'clock on Fridays. It, it, it kind of flip-flops, 1 and 2 o'clock on Fridays, depending on uh, if he's got some national people that he can move me, the, the peasant, around. But yeah, one or two o'clock with Dan on Friday. So those are the four weekly segments. Um, as far as co-hosting, I think I might be doing a day or two, maybe, here later this month uh, for the morning show. But yeah, as of now, obviously, Dan isn't traveling. So the times I'd host for him and no one's going on vacation. So everyone is uh, hosting their own shows. All right, we had a couple questions here about Chris Boward, Frank Reich on the hot seat. Uh, Kyle and Matt asked these. Um, Kyle said, if the Colts have a subpar year, is Ballard gone? Matt says, if this year doesn't go well, should Frank Reich be on the hot seat, given how much he was advocating for Rivers? Um, so I will ask, or I guess address both those here. I really don't think there's any chance they would get fired this season. I, if you go 0-16, yeah, you fire everybody. You fire, I, I would say you fire Blue, but Blue's such a great mascot. I, 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 I don't, I don't think you even fire Blue, but you fire close to everybody. Um, but I mean, seriously, if you go four and twelve, five and eleven, I don't think it's a slam dunk that they get fired. And I really don't think that they. I don't know. I, I would have to see it play out. Saying four and twelve and watching four and twelve happen, <laughs> my mind could change in a hurry. Now, I will say this: I think anything short of making the playoffs this year, that seat should be very, very warm for both. Probably both. I don't know. It's kind of weird because they're one year apart, and are they both tied at the hip? You know, how do you go about that? I think, I think, I think GM head coaches should be tied at the hip. I do, especially when you make the head coach hiring, which you know Ballard did. So uh, even though Ursa had a good amount of saying as well, but yeah, I mean, I think anything short of not making the playoffs that should be very warm. Like wins have got to start occurring. Like this is all great. Oh my gosh, the foundation is great and. They've overhauled the defense and, and, you know, the offensive line is pristine. And like a lot of those things are true, but 
This is a bottom line business. And sooner or later, you've got to start showing up wins and losses. You do. Steps on defense have to start being taken. And ultimately, you got to get back in the playoffs. Especially with the playoffs expanding to a seventh, seventh team. So, yeah, I would say, again, this, this needs to be a nine-win-plus season. Um, that should be the expectation, especially with Rivers. The whole, if this year doesn't go well, should Reich be on the hot seat? <laughs> you know, it's not like Ballard was opposed to it. So, again, I just kind of group those two at the same time. It's like, are you going to give Chris Ballard a third head coach? Like, that That seemed, I don't know how many GMs have ever gotten a third head coach. Um, and, you know, only made the playoffs once. So, yeah, it, it, it's certainly time. It, it, it is time, you know. The, the excuses and are can be fair, and there are certainly circumstances that have impacted and hindered their ability to build this team, but this is year four for Ballard, year three for Reich. Yeah, I mean, more consistent evidence in a positive direction has to start coming, or else that seat is going to be, yeah, that seat's going to be turn four warm in, in late May, now hopefully late, late August this year. All right, JC chiming in. Jesus Christ, Justin Curitan, not sure. Uh, how big of a role does Jack Doyle play in the offense this season? That might be a Justin Curitan question. Or it could be a Jesus Christ question with how many people uh, how people think of Jack Doyle. Jack Doyle, happy 30th birthday. A week ago. I think Doyle plays a, his normal role. Yeah, big role, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Doyle's on the field a ton. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a very Jack Doyle-like role. He, he, you know, a big a – big, and, and – I'm, I'm a culprit of this. You know, we probably don't give Jack Doyle enough credit for playing 16 games last year. And he, he suffered some big-time injuries, uh, the kidney and the, and the hip in 2018. And he plays, what, seven, eight games, maybe nine games that year and had been so durable throughout his career, bounces back 16-game season. And we know Philip Rivers likes his tight end. So, yeah, I, I think Doyle's going to play. That, you know, 80% of the snap, 90% of the snap type role. Frank Reich, just look at Jack, again, this goes back to the Doyle-Ebron debate. Frank Reich can say, and, and Chris Boward, like, their words can say a lot, and they are both very, very candid, I think, for a head coach GM. Like, you've got to put them on a, on a scale there. So, when you evaluate them on that level, they are pretty candid, but just look at, there's evidence that, speaks more to their true beliefs, how they've handled the Brissett situation, and look back at the Doyle-Ebron thing. You like both of them a lot? Why is Jack Doyle playing 40 more snaps than Eric Ebron every game? Because you like Doyle even more. Aaron, hardest three-game stretch of the season. Oh, I think it's pretty obvious. It's at it's, um, Baltimore. What's it? Baltimore. Baltimore at home at Tennessee on a Thursday night and then home to the Packers after the mini-buy. Yeah, clearly to me. I mean, there are a couple other stretches late in the year. We have Texans twice in three weeks, and you know you travel to Pittsburgh. Yeah, but still, I think it's I think it's pretty obvious. Hardest three game stretch to me. Yeah, right there. November. What is that? November ninth. I want to say eighth, something like that. I don't have the schedule in front of me. But uh, home to Ravens at Titans. Home to Pack. I mean, shit. That is. <laughs> That's a gauntlet, and you play twice in five uh, five days. Florenzo, a great name. Florenzo Bowen. Boy, that's a great name. What are the best options for the O-line depth still available in the free agency market? Jason Peters, Larry 
Warford. Yeah, um, those are obviously probably the two biggest names out there in the open market. What we have to remember to ask with all of these guys, do they want to continue to come to here to Indianapolis and compete for a top reserve job? Like, the Colts don't have an open starting job on their offensive line. Jason Peters has started how many games in his career? He ain't coming here to be a backup. Warford, a former third-round pick, he's not coming. Like, they want to compete for a starting job. There's a reason Joe Haig and Josh Andrews both left. I want a better chance of starting. So I I don't know where this offensive line depth is going to come from. You know, I, I, I just can't see the guys out there that have the starting experience coming to a very established offensive line group. So maybe, maybe cut downs, you know, maybe, maybe that's where you get them. All right, Lucas, can we consider the second linebacker spot, Anthony Walker, closed for the time being, or should Ballard still look to improve? Um, Lucas mentions how Anthony Walker has a big locker room presence. I mean, is Bobby Okariki in, in the competition? You know, last year, that's certainly what they talked about. I would like to see a little bit more of EJ Speed. Now, I'm an Anthony Walker fan. I do. I like him, um, but I'm going to be curious to see how all that plays out because from an athletic trait standpoint, Okariki and Speed have, and I should say more Okariki. I think Speed's still a little bit of ways away from getting on the field, but um, you know, Walker is in a contract year. Is there a passing of the torch? We know Darius Leonard loves him. I just think he's so reliable and, you know, he cut a lot of weight after being drafted in 2017, playing in a different system, just kind of ch- changed his body, I should say, more than more than cutting his weight. IU fan in Texas, will 8-8 eight and eight allow the Colts to be a wild-card playoff team? I, I think it's a good chance. I mean, last year, what, Pittsburgh would have got in at 8-8? Eight and eight. I'm saying with the, you know, seven playoff teams, obviously. The Rams were 9-7, and seven, is that right, out in the NFC? And they didn't get in under six. They would have got in with seven. I would think eight and eight gets you in, but nine and seven just to sleep good at night. Malik, I assume it's not Malik Hooker chiming in. What do you think is a, who do you think has a more productive career at corner? Rocky Seen or Marvell Tell? Seems like an easy answer, but Marvell looks like he has some good football in him as he continues to develop as an NFL corner. Good question. I think it's a fair question. I will go with Rocky Seen, but I think it's I think it's I think it's real close. I think Marvell Tell does does have some nice potential. I just don't know if the opportunity will, will be there for him. Does he bypass Xavier Rhodes on the depth chart? Does he bypass Yassine on the depth chart? I just don't see that. Eberflus talked about Xavier Rhodes on, on Monday, saying how he coached him in the out of like January 2017 Pro Bowl and just loved how he worked, which if you love how a guy works in the Pro Bowl, <laughs> that guy must be working. And he loves the size. Cannot teach that size. CW chimes in. I was hoping you could explain the Malik Hooker Instagram post. I saw it, but was confused as to what it meant and why it was a big deal, LOL. Maybe also talk about anything behind the scenes we don't know about the situation with him. Seems like an odd move. Yeah, I mean, for those that missed my, my little rant on on uh, on Hooker a few or last week on the Tuesday podcast or Monday, whenever I ended up recording that, yeah, I felt, felt like I, I laid it out there. Of Okay. If we have a character scale, and let's go with the cornerback position, 
Kenny Moore's on one end of the scale. Quincy Wilson's on the other end of the scale. Malik Hooker is not at either ends of those scales. Is he? I, I do think he's he's probably better than average, but I just don't think there is the exact. He checks every single one of our off the field boxes that we want him to. The Instagram post was what it was like a uh, some Photoshop picture of um, somebody holding up a thumbs up, and then then he had a song. The song was like. Um, Fed up, I believe, is what the title was of the song, and he 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 wrote in there. He took a picture of like his uh, whatever you call it, his little console in his car of what he was listening to, and uh, and the caption was mood. So yeah, and this is all within what twelve, I help less than twelve hours, like an hour, twenty four hours maybe was the second post of him up uh, putting that uh putting that up he he didn't have a whole lot of and and Malik doesn't have a ton of enthusiasm to begin with but boy he wasn't too enthusiastic about reading off the old schedule release that that video that the Colts made I mean we we had several questions about Hooker so I'll just throw them all in here I I just don't see how he comes back I don't and I know some people are like hey if he has a good year he's gonna come back like duh okay if he has a good year he comes back. First off, he's going to be wanting a whole lot more than the $6 million that he would have gotten had you picked up that fifth-year option. And if he has a good year, he doesn't love this scheme fit anyways, and we saw how he's reacted to this, you got to think he's going to look at it with that market value. And the market for a emerging safety at the age of 25 in today's NFL that can run hash mark to hash mark, think he's going to command some pretty good attention, again, if he has a good year. So I just don't think, you know, you drafted Julian Blackman for a reason, I guess, and it puts a ton of pressure on him. But I just can't see the Colts wanting to give him three or four years, hooker this is, three or four years for X amount of money if the market is going to be really high and you believe in Julian Blackman. So... Yeah, that's how I that's how I look at it with um, with Hooker. It's it's just a I think you're putting way too much pressure on Julian Blackman coming off the ACL. I thought it was a very manageable contract to pick up to evaluate him further, and it's kind of Chris Ballard almost. I don't know, maybe going against himself, but it seems like a quick evaluation for Ballard, and maybe he knows. I mean, and obviously he knows far more than I do, but. When Ballard himself says it takes guys a year and a half, two months post-ACL to really know. Okay, well, how are you going to know on Blackman? Or how do you know already on, on Blackman? And then the same thing with Hooker when you only have evaluated him for one season post-ACL, considering this timetable of a year and a half, two years. It just doesn't add up 100% to me. But Iberflus did talk about it yesterday. You know, the first thing he mentioned about safeties when, when, when asked about Hooker or, or Blackman was the versatility. And I just think they believe Blackman gives more of that from a tackling, a little bit of corner standpoint than, uh, than Hooker does. And the ball production, which you, you could argue. I mean, Hooker actually has had pretty good ball production uh, early on in his career. All right, Derek chiming in here. 
Derek from across uh, across the pond. Do you think Chris Ballard is behind on his dream defense rebuild? I assume he'd hope to have two locks in Quincy Wilson and Malik Hooker from the 2017 draft, and now one is gone and the other's future is up. Well, definitely. I mean, he, he, he is behind. I mean, you had two misses in potentially Hooker, which we think is a miss, and then obviously Wilson is a miss, and then throw in Terrell Basham. That was the third miss. And those are your first three picks. So, yeah, I mean, you, you had wild misses with that, and you've been trying to make up for it. You know, drafting multiple corners of Rocky Yassine and Marvell Tell and, you know, luckily found Kenny Moore um, after that 2017 offseason. But then safety, you know, you're, you're drafting Julian Blackman in the third round for a reason. Terrell Basham miss, you come back with Taekwon Lewis and Kamoko Turi and Ben Banigou. So, yeah, this, this rebuild has taken longer because of the misses in 2017. Philip, how long until Bobby Okariki supplants Anthony Walker as a starting Mike linebacker? Philip, great question. I will say this. I'm not sure if non-obvious division, I'm not sure if there's a player this staff loves more than Bobby Okariki. Again, non-obvious division. So think, take out, you know, you're all pros and you're Kenny Moores and you're Jack Doyles, but like they love Bobby Okereke. I remember back in February, Ursay was talking about how he's so excited for the upcoming. When is Ursay not excited for the upcoming season? So excited for the upcoming season. And Quentin Nelson and Darius Leonard are the first two names he mentions. The third name he mentioned was Bobby Okereke. Talking about how he could be a Pro Bowl. So they love the length. They love the speed, the striking ability. Again, all of that is kind of Darius Leonard-like. Again, measurable size. Let's 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 not say Kevin is comparing the two. Um, instincts are are vastly different, and, and you know Leonard finding the ball versus Okariki. But um, yeah, they really really like him. So that's why I do think Anthony Walker could be in a fight. Although I like Walker, and do you play more of the Sam linebacker position? That's that's a fair question. All right, Keith here. Would Jonathan Taylor take over as number one running back? If so, when do you predict that will happen? I'm thinking after the bye week. Keith, it, it, it's a great question. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, 29 carries a game. Okay, 15 for Taylor, 12 for Mack, one for Hines, one for Nick. You don't draft a running back early in round two and sit on him. You don't. And... I do think there will be some sort of splitting. I don't think it's going to be like, it's been a while since the Colts have had a one-two punch atop their running back depth chart that they've actually used. It has. I can't think of, I mean, Bradshaw and Boom Hair. I, I have no idea. Like, I would have to go back and look at it. But Marlon Mack has been the bell cow. So, you know, find me the last time the Colts have had two running backs get double-digit carries, you know, several games in a row. Maybe I'm totally missing one, but I, I can't recall. Gore and Mac late in Gore's 2017 season. My mate, I, I can't see it. So, I do think they're going to trade off some series. And, you know, maybe Taylor is going to be more of a 15-carry guy throughout the season. Mac leaves next year. He's a 20-22-carry guy. But Hines is still going to play on third down. Sirianni was, you know, very, very high in just the praise of Hines and how Phil Rivers does a great job of finding running backs. Great job. And especially the guys 
that uh, have the Heinz body type. John, hey, Kevin, I've seen a few articles about Desmond Patman being a fantastic late-round pick. I know Lewis Riddick loves him. I've seen other articles saying he's a long shot to make the roster. The coaching staff decides to go with Johnson or Fountain over Patman. Could we move Patman over to tight end? He's taller than Trey Burton and weighs roughly the same. He could be a good move tight end. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. It's hard to project that. Like, wide out to tight end. Like, is, have there been any successful moves of that? Have there? I can't think of anything, like, off the top of my head. And we got a couple questions about Patman. I don't think that'll happen again. I'm more of the put them on the practice squad, develop them with Mike Grow, and that sort of thing. But I, it is kind of intriguing, just the thought of it. Mitchell, I know it's a huge long shot, but with Dak and Dallas not talking a new contract, and Aaron Rodgers wanting out of Green Bay, any future into one of them being a cult? Just a thought. Oh boy, we, I think we we'll get a Rodgers question every week until all that plays out. I would assume Rodgers more than Dak. Like, you know, the thing with Rodgers is, like, Green Bay can't wait till year four to play Jordan Love because you have to make a decision. So, I mean, start the clock on Rodgers. What is it, one year, two year, three year? They can get out, like, what, after 2021, I think it is, save a bunch of money? Yeah, I guess that is a question. Like, is the next Colts starting quarterback, is it another bridge? Or is it, you know, the next quarterback's going to be the guy for 10 years? JJ. We got about a handful more here that we'll get to before wrapping up. All right, JJ chiming in. Where are you at, JJ? Oh, I got you. Reacting to the continued lack of primetime Colts games, perhaps the schedule makers and networks value exciting winning teams with must-see players, not the Colts for several years, more than the Colts' GM's brilliance and their high-character locker room. What am I missing? All right. Schedule question, and obviously you guys heard my, my, my rant, and I feel like the Colts should be irate. What we need to make sure we are doing is what we are measuring this on. We are measuring the schedule and lack of home primetime games off of five years of evidence. It's like the Malik Hooker thing. The Malik Hooker thing, I am not measuring that off of go give Malik Hooker a three- or four-year contract extension. No, no, no. I'm saying, is he worthy of another year of evaluation on a $6 million deal, which is middle-of-the-pack free safety money, while you ease Julian Blackman along? That's where I'm evaluating that decision on. With this schedule thing, I'm evaluating on the Colts have not had a home primetime game on Sunday or Monday night since 2015. That is First off, it's a competitive disadvantage. They're always on the road, and they're always on the road seemingly for these short home weeks, whether you're coming off a Monday game or you're going into a Thursday game or you're whatever. I decided to crunch the numbers on it. So here we go. Since the Colts last played on Sunday or Monday night at home, we all know the game. Infamous. Griff Whalen, Colt Anderson, pray for him. 159 games the NFL has had on Sunday or Monday night. Every single team in the league has hosted a primetime game. Every single team in the league has had at least two home primetime games in that span 
since the Colts and the Jags. They're trying to ship the Jags to a new continent. And the Colts are in the same breath as them. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, how bad have the Colts been across the rest of the NFL? And we know Andrew Luck was their quarterback leading in the 2016 season, leading in the 2017, leading in the 2018. When the schedule came out, Andrew Luck was supposed to be the Colts quarterback 2016, 17, 18, and 19. So then I'm thinking to myself, okay, how good have the Colts been in that span? They had the 14th best win percentage. 14th out of the 32 teams in the league over that span. Think about all those teams below them. You know? Like, how do you not give them one in a five-year span? One. It's, it's, it's incredible. That, that fake punt curse is real, folks. It's, and maybe that is deserved punishment. I, if the NFL came out and said, we have punished the Colts for five years because of the fake punt, I would, I would stand up and clap. I would say, Roger Goodell, thank you for the honesty. That is a deserved punishment. Let's move on. Alex, do you think the large amount of free agents next year for the Colts is a contingency plan to blow the team up if Phillip Rivers isn't the guy? Uh, that's an interesting thought. Maybe a little bit, but I, I just think naturally you've gotten here. The Hilton extension was before Chris Ballard arrived here. The Justin Houston two-year deal made sense. You, know, you drafted Marlon Mack and Anthony Walker. Their contracts are obviously naturally going to come up after four years. And I think also the Colts just couldn't strap themselves in quarterback-wise. They just couldn't do it. And I know I mentioned on last week's podcast how you have two of the top 20 quarterback hits, three of the top 20 quarter or hits, period, cap hits. This is in the entire NFL, which is just terrible, um, mainly a quarterback because Rivers and Brissett will not give you that sort of return value. But it's only one year. So that's, that, that, that's fine. Wake, if Taylor explodes onto the scene as an immediate three-down back early in the season, do you see Marlon Mack being traded to a team with a need? No, I don't. I don't see Mack being traded. You know, you're, 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 you're one injury away. And running back, I get Jonathan Taylor's been crazy durable, but no. Marlon Mack is affordable. Um, no, I would not do that. Not, not at running back. Running back's way too, uh, way too risky for me. Wake also says, you often reference your affinity for Greeks pizza. Have I? Jeez. I should probably listen to what I'm saying. A college favorite for sure, but what are your top five indie pizza joints? Oh, boy. That's a good one. I love Donato's. I know it's not Indianapolis pizza, but I just love it. I love it. I like Giacomo's pizza over on the east side, and and I think there's another one up um, – Somewhere else, Fort Bend, maybe. Uh, I, Tony's Pizza uh, in Carmel was a staple of mine when I was growing up. Goodfellas, I know it's not like an indie pizza. I, I like that. What am I forgetting? Napoli's has has great pizza right by uh, right by our house. But I love Donato's. I love it. That's my favorite. Alex, should we expect a contract extension for TY sometime this offseason or even during the season, or do you think they'll wait and see what they get out of Pittman and company before offering him a deal? Yeah, I think they'll wait. It's a big year for Hilton. You know, got to stay healthy, see what the market is. 
Um, and, and then, like you said, you know, you gotta you gotta wait and see what you have out of Pittman. It's just a little too risky to extend him now, and I think probably help help him gets it at this age. Mitch, what are the odds that Danny Pintner wins the starting job from Glowinski by the end of the season? Ah, uh, ten or twenty percent. Yeah. You're still guessing on Pinter until you see him in the training camp. I mean, we, we the dude's never played guard in his life, folks. People want Mark, Mark Lewinsky gone. Like, it, it, it's just incredible. All right, three more. In Grieve, is this the last season Anthony Walker plays for the Colts? He could get paid bigger money elsewhere. I, I do. If you're going to make me guess, I probably think this is the last season. How else are you getting Bobby Okariki on the field more? And I don't think it's honestly the money. I just think it's they're obsessed with Okariki. And they felt like he's a Mike. Mike linebacker position. John, with Hooker most likely on his way out of town after the season, I've been wondering who from the 2017 draft is going to make the roster. If Okariki wins the Mike linebacker job, who from the 2017 draft gets a second contract? Um, yeah, I would say three guys are going to make it. Anthony Walker, Grover Stewart, Marlon Mack will make this year's roster. And Grover Stewart may be the only guy who gets a second contract. Is he also in a contract year? Yeah, he is. I keep on forgetting about him. Yeah. So that 2017 draft, seven guys, seven picks you had, four are gone. Quincy Wilson, Terrell Basham, Zach Banner, and Nate Hairston. You had all seven of those picks in the first five rounds, too. Boy, that is an ugly-looking group. Wilson, Basham, Banner, Hairston. Wilson doesn't get to the final year of his rookie deal. Banner doesn't get to year one of his rookie deal. Basham barely plays into year two. Hairston doesn't get to the final two years, and the return on those four guys is a late six-round pick. Right? Wilson was the only trade. You didn't get anything back for Hairston. You just waved Bashman Banner. That's terrible. So those four guys, those four rookie deals, so they each were um, four-year contracts. That's 16 seasons that you get possible out of them. Four out of each. Wilson gave you three. Basham gave you one-ish. We'll say one. I think he was away like in October. Harrison gave you two. So six. Six of 16 seasons. Just those guys playing out their rookie deals. God, good thing he bounced back in 2018. And that's huge. That's a huge part about being a general manager. It especially means more because, and obviously this is pre-Chris Bowder resume, but go back to the, the, the previous drafts. 2013, no one. 2014, no one. 2015, no one. 2016, who you got? Ryan Kelly? And I guess the Raven Clark. Man, that is a run. 2013 to 2017. That is just a... Really 2013 to 2016. That's why Grigson got fired, honestly. All right, final one with Sean. What's going to happen with season ticket holders that paid for tickets if there's no fans? Sean, I tweeted out, scroll through my, my, my timeline. Uh, I tweeted out earlier in the week. It was late last week after the schedule came out. Uh, there's a there's a refund policy on um, on Colts.com, so check that out over there. I don't I, I I think they're they didn't they didn't put it in clear terms. I think you probably have to contact them to really find out. But obviously that'll be a big thing to look into. All right, everybody, thanks for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner. Uh, last week on the website we looked over the first four picks the Colts had. This week we will look over the last five picks they had this year. And uh, 
little bit more intel into each of those picks. And then, like I said, the Nick Sirianni, um, Matt Eberflus recaps are up on the site as well. We will probably stick with Tuesdays um, throughout the offseason now that there's no more live NFL events um, for some time. So everybody stay safe. Have a great week. And thanks for listening to this edition of Kevin's Corner.